Amen, amen. Tell your neighbors, Happy New Year. Congratulate them on making it to the first of 52 Sundays this year. I think it's 52. I don't think it's one of those weird years where we get an extra one. I honestly haven't checked. I'm just surprised that I know that there's 52 weeks in the year, so that means, yeah, 52, right? Yeah, yeah, I got that right. Smarter people in the room, anyone want to affirm me in that so I don't feel insecure? All right. Well, you also got the, this is a fun Sunday. You also got Christmas Fit Sunday. So a lot of you wearing your new stuff, your new digs, got new sneakers. How many of you got new shoes? Oh, they got one pair in the back, some pink. Yeah, look, stand up real quick. Let them see them. Let them see them, Trey. The boots. Look at them, Tacobas. That's, that's what I call Alan Jackson turquoise. You don't know who Alan Jackson is, but he, he is, you know, okay, country music right there. Oh, man, I hope you guys had a great Christmas and an incredible New Year. I got some airwalks. Some of y'all don't even remember what airwalks were. But back in the day, whenever I was trying to be a weirdo, everywhere I went, uh, I would wear a ball bearing chain necklace, and I wore these things called Jinkos. Jinkos, <laughs> during the summer, see, see, some of y'all are having a revival. The other half are like, what's happening? Well, back in the day, Jinkos, you could in summer cut, make yourself some redneck pants out of Jinkos, and you could clothe a third world country out of the bottom because they were so wide and so big. And, and you would get your Jinkos, you'd wear your ball bearing necklace if you were weird like me, and you would get airwalks. And you would stand in a circle at lunch and kick a little bag around uh, with each other. And it was, it was, some of y'all are impressed I can get my leg up that high, I saw it. But, but my point is, you, you would, you know, hang out and kick a hacky sack. Well, I thought Airwalks went bankrupt, but J.C. Penney's done brought them back, baby. And I got me a pair of Airwalks for $49.99. Take that, Air Jordan. Um, I love my Christmas shoes. Uh, we are starting off the new year by looking back at a story that we spent a lot of time in at the end of last year. Uh, there's a family uh, that's struggling to be functional. In fact, the most consistent thing about their family experience is that they are quite dysfunctional. Uh, it has a father named Isaac, a uh, mother named Rebecca. They have two sons that, at the point in the story that we're picking up today, have been divided for over 20 years. It's been 20 years since they spent any kind of celebration, season, life moment together. Over that 20-year period, they've both grown in their own right, They've accrued quite the amount of wealth and possessions, uh, but there's a lot of unsaid and we don't know where we stand with each other's stuff that existed between these two brothers. Their names were Esau and Jacob, and in Genesis chapter 32, we get the story and the insight uh, into this family and what is perhaps a combative family reunion in Genesis chapter 32. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to the 32nd chapter of the first book of the Bible. It's where we are introduced to the story of God as he begins to introduce us to some of the people he uses for his story to be advanced on earth. As you're opening to give you a little bit more context, Jacob has left his father-in-law Laban. Uh, he has two wives, Rebecca and Leah, uh, after working for his father-in-law for several years, he uh, wants to marry Rebecca, the younger one, wakes up on his first wedding day. Yes, some of y'all have had multiple wedding days, so had they in the Bible. Uh, so he wakes up on his first one and uh, realizes that uh, it's the wrong bride. Now, I don't know how many of you have had a bad wedding experience, uh, but most of you have probably not woken up the next morning and went, uh, Rachel, and they said, not Leah, uh, you know, like, it was wrong bride. So that marriage was off to a great start. It was really going places. Uh, after several more years of work, he worked and was able to marry 
Rachel, and then the sisters got along that he was married to, because that was a great story, and uh, they had children uh, and have now been on a journey, but Laban, being a trickster, tried to trick Jacob out of working and changed the rules around how he could accrue and earn, but God blessed Jacob, and he grew quite wealthy, but can't trust Laban, so they leave and flee from him. Laban, angry, is behind them. Esau, his brother, comes out to meet him with 400 people. Now, I, I don't know about you, but if I haven't seen you in 20 years and you're coming with 400 people, I want to look and see if there's banners of praise or weapons of <laughs> war in the hands of the people that are coming to meet me. And in Jacob's mind, Esau's not coming to hug him. He's coming to choke him. And so he's quite worried. So behind him, there's trouble. In front of him, there's trouble. In the middle, there's everything that he loves in this world that is in jeopardy. So it's quite a concerning time for Jacob. And within this, there's a question that's asked of him that changes his entire life and his legacy. And that question is a question that probably can change yours if you get it right. The question is this, what is your name? What is your name? That's the title of the first sermon of 2023. We get it out of the 32nd chapter of Genesis. Look at it with me, Genesis chapter 32, verse 22. During the night... Jacob got up and took his two wives and two servant wives and his 11 sons and crossed over the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side with this meeting with Esau on the horizon in the next day, he sent over all of his possessions. This left Jacob for the remainder of that last night before this reckoning with Esau alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until dawn began to break. How many of you have ever found yourself in an accidental wrestling match that you didn't expect that you were going to be in? Probably not most of us. Uh, that's why you store chairs under your bed, just in case, because you might have to go Ric Flair and woo someone in the head to end it, because you never know. You never know. In the first couple verses of this story, we're given a time, we're given a place, we're given a setting. The place is they're on the north bank of the Jabbok River. That's important because he's going back to the place that God promised that he would bless and establish him 20 years later from the first time he experienced the promise that God had given him. So for 20 years now, he has grown older, wiser. His family has expanded. His earthly possessions have grown quite significantly, but now he's coming back to the place where God first met him. And it's there in which God will establish him and begin to tell this story that will lead them in ultimately into Egypt through a son named Joseph, that will lead them to being forgotten as a people that will be enslaved under a new Pharaoh that won't remember the God that was with them and established and brought Egypt through the famine, that will lead them into slavery where they'll cry out and a Moses will come and deliver them and part waters where they'll see God move in ways that no one had ever dreamed God would move on their behalf. But it all starts with him going back to a place where God began working with him. Sometimes, in order to go forward, and this is a known principle, you sometimes have to reflectively go back. That's why I like New Year's. It gives me an opportunity to look at where are we at, where are we going, what's next. In fact, we are going to spend all of next week talking about where we believe God's leading our church to go in this new year as his Holy Spirit directs and leads us. I would invite you not just to come to the first Sunday of the year, but maybe try two in a row. For some of you, that would be a record and it could get wild. Like, who knows? Maybe you'd really start to take off in your growth with the Lord if you came to church twice in a row instead of like once and then we'll see you at Easter. Not calling anybody out, but if your conscience is convicted, you know, I'll just leave it at that. My point is, my point is, I love getting reflective because it allows us to kind of assess 
where we are, what God's doing, the blessings perhaps that we're overlooking, the hardships and the frustrations that we're keeping from bringing to God that we may need to bring before God. So he's on his way back to where God first met him, and God has ultimately promised to establish him. On top of that, it's the middle of the night that we find the story taking place. Now, night can be scary when you're in a difficult season of life, when you're surrounded by enemies and uncertainties. Night can be a dangerous place because it's where it gets quiet. It's where distractions go away. And imagine night back in the 70s and 80s when TV would sign off. There was no Netflix. All you had if you were up in the middle of the night with your thoughts was snow until the next morning. You remember those times? Anybody in the house remember when TV wasn't 24-7? Three people. Amen. We're glad you're still here. You made it. You survived a pandemic. You survived uh, Clinton and Bushes and like every, you, you made it. Anyway, it's... I said both parties, don't get offended. Uh, my, my point is, my point is, uh, night can be scary when your life is filled with uncertainty because night is where you often are left with your thoughts. The Psalms talk about this in a good way. Psalm 4, 4 says this uh, in the book of Psalms, buying a little bit of time. Psalm 4, 4, it says this about when you're on your bed, Psalm 4, 4, uh, don't, don't sin, don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. The idea is that the nighttime is a time of reflection. It's a time where we remember where we are and where we are not. We remember whose we are and whose we are not. So it's a time of night in a place that's on a journey between a very uncertain future. The circumstance in the text tells us that he's alone. Just him and his thoughts, no bouncing boards, no uh, one to entertain him or distract him. This can be a good thing and it can be a scary thing. Spence Jones, who wrote a commentary on the book of Genesis in 1909, said, It's in solitude that the human soul discovers most of itself and enjoys most frequent interviews with God, which for some of us is what we've been running from for a long time. We don't want God to search us because we already know what he'll find within us, and we're trying to untag ourselves from it because we don't want anyone to know it. Uh, what we know if our life, thoughts, and experiences are laid bare before God is there's not much holy in it, and we've been over-exaggerating the holiness that we hold within us instead of acknowledging our weakness and our inability uh, to be holy apart from God. You see, many of us have been running from God for a long time, thinking that, We'll clean it up before we come to God. We'll fix it up before we present it before God. But this story tells us a different story about a God who doesn't wait on the cleanup to happen because cleanup can't happen until he intervenes. And transformation can't take place until he comes near. And so you'll never be transformed and changed enough to come before the presence of a holy and righteous God. Therefore, the holy and righteous God has had to come to you when you weren't fixed up, made up, transformed, and changed, but still broken and hiding still walking around in the darkness and calling it light and thinking that you were fine when in actuality you were dying. You see, this is the story of Jacob. Jacob has spent his life in the dark, being promised a move of God, but instead of waiting on the power and movement of God, he's tried to force it into existence in his life. See, for many of us in the house today, we are in similar situations. Instead of waiting on a move of God, we're trying to force a move of God to take place in our life. He's likely in the middle of the night, as he has already schemed up his plan. Keep in mind, 
he's positioned his least favorite parts of his inheritance and family in front so that if Esau's coming with ill intentions, they'll take them out and give his favorite kids, his favorite wife, his favorite parts of his family the opportunity to run and escape and have freedom. So that's going to create a few uh, needs for counselors for the future family if you were the first son of the 11 in front because you were the least favorite. Apparently you've got some work to do, right? And so he's already got his plan. I'll divide my people up. I'll go into uh, uh, casualty control. I'll try and survive it. And for some of you, as you approach a new year, perhaps this is where you're at. In your mind, you're not trying to achieve anything. You're not expecting God to do anything. You're just hoping you can endure anything that comes in the new year. Uh, you've got a mindset that's thinking, I just need to survive six more months and it'll get better. But why? What makes you think it's going to change? Last I learned, nothing changes, nothing changes. It's often after the exhaustion of trying to change things yourself that you come to the end of yourself and realize that you actually need to surrender to someone that's greater than yourself to bring change that you can't bring to yourself. So Jacob, in the middle of the night, on the North Jabbok River, facing an angry father-in-law behind him and a brother who he has no clue what's coming in front of him, uh, begins to cry out in fervent prayer is what most suggest is happening. He's wrestling with God spiritually, but then he finds himself wrestling with God physically. Uh, he has a spiritual problem. He has half-trusted God the majority of his life while he has fully trusted himself. A lot of y'all relate to that. You half trust God, you fully trust yourself. He received a promise 20 years prior, shortly away from where he's standing, that God would bless him and establish him and protect him and make him a great nation. That's what he's been promised, but that's not what he feels will be his experience. And there are a lot of you in this year that have a lot of promises that God's given you as followers of Christ to the Word of God that... You read on the paper, but you've yet to be able to apply to your mind. So in the dark, you stay up in worry and doubt and uncertainty. Almost like an insurance adjuster trying to come up with the plans and the PR schemes of how you can explain away the bad things that perhaps are going to come on the next day's horizon. All because you've yet to truly believe that no weapon formed against you will prosper. And because you've yet to fully believe that you have a great high priest who advocates for you in the ear of the Father when you don't even know what to pray, but all you've got is a groan. So in your mind, you've got to pray it right or otherwise God won't hear it, not knowing that the high priest is already praying it right in the ear of the Father and he's already got it covered. <laughs> See, there's a big difference because there's some nights that get really dark. There's some seasons that get really tough. And you begin to look at the promise of the page and you begin to struggle to really apply it to the experience that you're going through in that moment. Well, it's in the middle of that wrestling. We don't know what he's praying. We don't know how deep into prayer that he's in. But in his spiritual weakness, he's attacked physically. Why? Because his physical strength has become a problem. His physical strength has allowed him to run as a prodigal for a long time. To be a scoundrel and a deceiver. To be someone who was establishing himself and building his own kingdom and living for his own name and living for his own renown. But there's a big problem. You see, he was put on this earth, Jacob, not to build his kingdom but to build God's. Not to live for his name but to live under God's name. And not to be about his renown or his fame but to be about God's fame. And his physical abilities were getting in the way 
His ability to survive anything, his ability to endure it, his ability to overcome hardship has made him thick-skinned, but it's not the thick skin that he needs because it's thick-skinned to surrender to God. He's too thick-skinned to surrender to God. So where, where is he at? He's in the middle of the night, he's praying, and he finds himself in a physical combat. Verses 24 and 25 go on and say this, Jacob left all on his camp, a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break, which means wrestling is the first sport. In the Bible, my brother-in-law, who's a wrestling coach, likes to point that out. When the man saw, the person he was wrestling with, that he would not win the match. And some of you read that and you're like, okay, he's wrestling just a normal person. Uh, But read the next sentence with me. When he realized he wouldn't win the match, he touched Jacob's hip. The language suggests he took his finger and went, boop. It wasn't like this was a Ric Flair cheap shot where he came up behind him and hooked the leg, okay? This was not the ref looked away and he went the eyes and, you know, like, like that, that's not. The idea is the entire night, Jacob, instead of surrendering, chose to fight and wouldn't quit. And instead of in his power and authority destroying Jacob, he chose to weaken Jacob. You see, in order for Jacob to grow spiritually, he had to get to a point of weakness physically that, in, that disabled him from fighting. So God displaces his hip, and for the rest of his life, he will be marked by the moment with a limp. As a reminder of his inability to be self-sufficient. As a reminder of his inability to be God in and to himself, as a reminder of his inability to change the future or overcome the past. And so he gave him a reminder of a limp so that he would not wander from the sight of God. Later, the Apostle Paul, who we spoke of earlier before we began the sermon, will talk about receiving prophecies and vision and gifts that are so great that he was in need of humility. So God gave him a thorn that would mark him with a limp, if you will, as a reminder that though the gifts of God on his life, the anointing of God on his life, the purpose of God for his life was great, that the need for humility and dependency on God would be required. You see, some of you have a dangerous self-sufficiency. You're physically strong. Uh, You touch Anything and it seems to turn to gold. And what God has for you is not a greater reminder of his grace, but a greater reminder of humility. That's his plan. His plan A is that you would humble yourself in spite of the guise of self-sufficiency in this year. To cling to God with a dependency and humility. To become less so that God could become Great. That would be his intent. Now, the problem is many of us who need humility have to go through the path called humiliation to get there. God's plan A, humble yourself. God's plan B, you're going to humiliate yourself. Not because I want you to humiliate yourself, not because I get enjoyment out of your humiliation, but a life that is disconnected from its source of power is a life that will find itself in insufficient power when times of different need, and as a result, will find himself in a humbling season, in a humbling circumstance. So, he's wrestling, but it's not because he's such a good wrestler that Jesus who is wrestling with him, I believe in the text, doesn't overcome him. It's because he won't surrender. <laughs> he won't 
surrender. So he touched his side, revealing his power to be God. And in that moment, Jacob has an aha moment. I'm not wrestling with just flesh and blood. I'm not wrestling with just another person. This isn't just a robber or a random person or a stranger in the night. This must be someone that is divine, that is wrestling with me. And in that moment, he becomes physically weak so that he can become spiritually strong. Look at what the text goes on to say. Verse 26, then the man said, let me go for dawn is breaking. Now there's a lot of thoughts around this part of the text. What's going on? Why is he saying let, let me go? Well, if we take it from the terms of other parts of scripture, we know that Moses asked to see the face of God and God said, you can't see my face for the day you'll see it, you'll surely die. We know the darkness is covering the face of the person that he's wrestling. Uh, Moses saw the back of God and then as a result of seeing the back of God, went down into the valley where the people were waiting, and they were terrified of Moses because his countenance had completely changed. So perhaps this is a protection in that if the sun rises and he sees his face, Jacob's going to die. It also is more than likely a, a statement that's speaking to the fact that there is a new morning coming and a reality that he has to face that he doesn't want to face. And so more than likely what's being said in the text is actually, hey, the dawn's coming, it's time to go see your brother Esau. And Jacob would rather wrestle with God than go deal with that. My grandma would call that next level stubborn. King James, Jack, you know what comes after it in the KJV, stubborn. And some of you in this house, I love you, but daggummit, you are stubborn. You constantly fight God at every turn. You, you would rather die fighting him than submit and live. So year after year, you stack up broken story, broken. I mean, you, you find in your rearview mirror is a year filled with <laughs> almost met expectations, started projects that were never finished, promises that you made to God to bail you out of circumstances when you got in over your head of an allegiance you never followed through and gave. And ahead of you is a scheme of how you can get what your heart desires apart from God. And here we are in a wrestling match on the first Sunday, and the invitation that God gives you is, Stop trying to live apart from me. Stop trying to do life apart from me. Depend on me. Trust in me. Surrender to me. And your stubborn self is going to sit here. When everybody else had the sense to sleep in, that was stubborn. And still not surrender. Still think, if I just try harder, if I just work a little bit more, I'll get there. No thunder you won't. And unfortunately, you're going to stack and build into this new decade and this new season of living, uh, this new year. You're going to build in the same kind of stuff that you built into the last year if you don't submit. So what happens in the story? I'll not let you go unless you bless me. That's Jacob's response. Let me go for the dawn is breaking. I won't let you go unless you bless me. How funny is it that Jacob's asking to be blessed still in his life? How many of you, let's just be honest, because it's easier to talk about other people than it is to talk about herself. That's why Baptist is such a big denomination, because gossip's a big deal. Um, I was one, I can say that, okay? All right. 
Um, how many of you have heard people pray things and you're like, I ain't praying that. God ain't answering that. Like you, you, like you, you hear like a lady that jingles when she walks with so much jewelry and she's like, God, just bless us this year, God, and we just thank you and we just pray that you would just expand our borders. God, don't, don't expand her borders. How many, how many of you ever heard people like, I, I, I know it's church and none of you won't agree with me, but you've thought it. I know you thought it. You've heard people like, can you pray for my cat? Can you? And, no, I ain't praying for that. I'm sorry. I, I, I know I'm supposed to tell you, I will pray for your cat. I'm not going to pray for your cat. Like, I, I don't like cats. I, I personally, I don't prefer them. So that's not a prayer. If, if, if God's going to answer one for me, I'm not using it on your cat. Okay? Like, like that, I'm not. It's not happening. I, I'm just going to be honest. Talk to, t- go, to, go to your community group. Maybe they got some extras that, that they left over. I ain't got one for a cat, all right? Like, and so I, I, I hear people sometimes, they say stuff, and I'm just like, what are you talking about, bless you, more? You, you want God to give you more? Like, I, you already got a house. You want another house. You already got a car. You want to give you, what, what are you talking about? This is what Jacob's doing. Think about this. He has schemed and stolen the blessing from his father, which gives him the right to the entire inheritance of his father's wealth and worth and land and everything else. He then goes away for 20 years, works under Laban. He marries two wives, has multiple children, has two concubines. And on top of that, with all the children, with all the stuff, he's got a moving city that's going with him everywhere he goes. And his response... In the middle of the uncertainty of a day that's on the horizon with all the trouble that's come with this stuff. Because in the words of P. Diddy, mo' money, mo' problems. His response is, bless me. Y'all better be careful with stuff like that. When you ask God to bless you, he often will. But how many of you know children are a blessing from the Lord? And they did not make your life easier. How many of you know that when you get a house, that's a blessing from the Lord, but when stuff breaks on a house you own, life ain't a lot easier. Some of y'all just discovered it. Your pipes experienced Antarctica. And instead of flowing, they decided to explode. And you didn't have a landlord to call and be like, that's your bill. (laughs) No, no, that's yours if you're the homeowner. You see, blessings lead to complexity in your life. A blessed life is a complex life. Now, I I want you to understand that. I want you to note it. So before you pray and ask God to bless it, ask yourself, do I got room for more complexity? Because some of y'all ain't dealing good with the complexity you already got. Okay? Number two, why is he still asking for for blessing when he seems to have so much? It would seem to me that in spite of having all the earth's blessings you could have, there's something he's fought for and never been able to receive. You see, for the majority of Jacob's life, he has fought to earn respect from his father that he felt like he had to work for. He's fought to earn acceptance from a father that he felt like he had to work for. He's fought to earn and establish him place in life under his father-in-law and other people because he felt like he wasn't worthy. You see, the majority of his life he was told in order to be blessed, you've got to be Esau. In order to be blessed, you've got to be someone you're not. And what's transferred now is perhaps an inability for him to believe that he's blessed by God. Because he's allowing the way the world has told him he has to work and operate to receive blessings to affect the way that he approaches God. How about you? How many of you, 
believe today that in the place you sit, the seat you sit, and the condition you're in, you are an object that can be blessed by God in your current state. That you don't have to fix it. That you don't have to have the answers to the unanswered questions that are on the other side of this year, like, will the marriage be restored? Will the finances get resolved? Will the lawsuit come to our side in favor? Will I be able to get out of the ditch that I dug us into? But that right here, right now, in the state that you're in, that you are blessable by God. Now, you know the church answer. Oh, yeah. Praise God. But a harder question comes. And it's a question I want you to face today. The person he's wrestling with, who I believe is Jesus, ask him after he asked to be blessed, what's your name? Why is that an important question? Because for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, Jacob, actually he's in his 90s, so 90 years, Jacob has been trying to be somebody else so that he could be blessed. If you go back to Genesis chapter 27, there's an interaction recorded between him and his father. His mother, he, overhearing his father, Isaac, tell his, son, his older brother Esau to go out and hunt because he's dying and needs to give his blessing, sends Jacob in and Esau's close. And this interaction happens. So Jacob took the food to his father. My father, he said, yes, my son. Isaac answered, who are you? Esau, the outdoorsman. The rugged, the manly man, or Jacob, the deceiver, homebody, schemer. Who are you? Who are you? Jacob replied, it's Esau, your firstborn son. I've done as you told me. Here's the wild game. Now sit up and eat it so you can give me your blessing. How? Did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord's your God. No. He didn't have nothing to do with this. But you're going to throw him into it. You see, Jacob has been trying, though he has the promise of God on his life, to elevate his life, which is always pride from the beginning. And some of you, you have the promise of God on your life, but you've tried to build your own life, which gives you nothing but pride as a result. Pride can never deliver the kingdom. It can never deliver the promises. What are we called to do? We're called to wait on God. If God's promised you something, he'll deliver on it. God is not a man for which you should lie, nor a man for which you should boast. That's why we can go and tell it on a mountain. Over the hills and everywhere. Why? Because Jesus comes through on his promise. So what's the call for us when we have the promise, but we've yet to receive it or experience it? We wait on God. We wait on his movement in our life. You see, when God elevates you, that allows you to be blessed. That's called a blessing. But when you elevate yourself, that allows you to build on pride, which that's a curse. What's going on? Well, he's masquerading as Esau. How did you find it so quickly? And he's trying to make God a part of the story, as if God's in on the scheme. God put it in my path, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come closer so I can touch you and make sure that you really are Esau. So Jacob went closer to his father and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are because he's covered them with fur. 
Again, he's playing the part. He's a really good actor. Church is filled with him. Many of you are great actors. You come in here in the new year and it's like everything's working fine. We got it all together. We don't need community. We don't need God. We don't need dependency on God. We got it. Now, none of you would arrogantly say it out loud, but you live like it every single day of your life. And just because the new year and the calendar turn doesn't mean that you changed. It's not magic. It doesn't work that way. Isaac said to Jacob, come closer, I can touch you. He realized his hands were Esau. So Jacob went closer to his father. Isaac touched him. The voice of Jacob's the hands were Esau's. Isaac said, verse 23, but he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy, just like Esau. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob, who was actually... In his mind, Esau. But before he does it, in verse 24, he says one more time, a third time, but are you really my... Okay, that's a theme in the Bible. How many times does Peter deny that he's with Jesus? Three times. This is coming off the top of my head. I may be wrong here. But when Peter is restored, how many times does Jesus ask, do you love me? I believe it's... Okay? Are you sure you're Esau? Oh, yeah. You're not Jacob? No, I'm Esau. Are you sure? Yep. And the blessing that his father gives him never sticks. You know why? Because he never was Jacob. He was playing the role of Esau. You see, God can't bless your fake name. He can't deliver your fake name. He, he doesn't bless the person you want to be in the future. He doesn't bless the person that you are in your best moment that you crop and put up on your Instagram and social media account. No, no, no. This is the glory of who God is. This is the glory of how God works. You see, for 20 plus years from this moment on, Jacob has played the role of someone that he's not. But in order for Jacob to become someone he's not been, he's got to accept who he's, who, who he's been. He's got to, got to deal with the fact that there's some baggage, that he's a hill clinger, a deceiver, that he's uh, a people pleaser, that he's weak, that he's impatient, and by his own actions, honestly, he's unworthy. He's got to come to terms with it. And I would submit to you that the best thing you can do in this new year is come to terms with your name. It's got an upside and it's got a downside. Let me help you. I love preaching the Word of God. I love Jesus. I want to be a man of God. I want to love my wife well. I want to lead my family well. You're hearing a lot about intentions. You know why? Because I don't always love God well. I don't always serve my wife well. I don't always lead my family well. Sometimes I'm a glutton. Sometimes I'm flat out lazy. Sometimes I still cuss. Sometimes I do and say stuff I shouldn't do and say in front of my kids. Sometimes in laziness, I let my kids do things that's not helpful for them because I'm too lazy to get up and intervene on their behalf. You see, I don't want you to know about those parts of my life. I would rather be untagged from them than for you to know that they're associated with my name. But in reality, the name Russ Chambers comes with an upside that's very limited and a downside that's very steep. 
I spent the majority of my 20s telling myself that I couldn't be used by God, blessed by God, or a tool in the hands of God until I became more like, insert whichever charismatic, outgoing, watched and clicked on preacher that you think a lot of. And so the majority of my 20s, I was in an identity crisis. I was a broken man trying to untag myself from the unflattering parts of my life while trying to build an identity while running after achievement, thinking that that would be the platform and foundation that my identity could be secured in. While running out of uh, possession, thinking that if I could achieve and possess more, that I could have a more secure identity that God could use. All while trying to outrun a past that I couldn't get away from because it kept slipping back up into my present and my future as if I actually was some of the more unflattering parts of myself that I didn't want to be associated with. You see, that's the reality of the human experience. You and I, we often overestimate our goodness and underestimate the uh, goodness of others. We like to overestimate how fast we can change ourselves while underestimating what God could do if we gave Him time in our actual life. And so we get in this kind of rat wheel race or this hamster wheel race where we're just running and getting nowhere, where we're getting exhausted wrestling with God instead of surrendering to God and nothing's changing. Then we get mad at God and bitter because it didn't work because God was never in the story to begin with. It was our story that we refusing to let God have hold of. Chasing after a name that we were trying to earn instead of receive. God asked Jacob in the wrestling match in his exhaustion and with a limp, what's your name? And for the first time, perhaps in a long time, he comes clean. I'm Jacob. Jacob the deceiver. Jacob the brother betrayer. Jacob the selfish. Jacob the weak. Jacob the broken. Jacob the scared, Jacob the afraid, Jacob the worried, I'm Jacob. First time in his life, he allows God to step into his story and he becomes Israel. His name changes. It all started with accepting his name. In this year, let me be clear, God will not bless or deliver a fake version of you. His grace is sufficient for your downside, and He's got enough humility that He can give you for your upside. <laughs> he gives you grace because sometimes on the downside, you don't think you're worthy to be near God. So His grace invites you as the prodigal to come home to God. He gives you humility. Why? Because sometimes in self-sufficiency, you wander from God. And so his humility keeps you by his side so that you never leave his side in your need of God. His name is changed in verse 28. What God intended to do through Jacob was not achieved through battle, but it was achieved through surrender. What God will do through your life this year will not start on your effort. It will not start on you taking up your armor and fighting a heroic fight for the Lord. It starts with your surrender. And part of that surrender is accepting your weakness, acknowledging your need, so that you can rise in His strength 
and in dependency on him in a way that will empower you to overcome. As the story began, Jacob put his least favorite parts of his family in, well, in front, afraid to face Esau. But after this interaction where his name moves from Jacob the deceiver to Israel, which means triumphant with God, He runs ahead of everything and goes and meets his brother in the next day. He presents his brother with some of his own possession. His brother tries to refuse it and he says, no, no, no. Jacob doesn't look at him. He doesn't say, no, no, I've, I've worked hard for 20 years. I've deceived my father-in-law. I've got lots of stuff and I've got so much that I can't take care of all of it. Here, have some of what I have. No, no, no. He says, I have been blessed by the grace of God, chapter 33. He moves from, I have earned, I have deceived, I have achieved, I am a strong man by my effort to, I am an object of God's grace. Therefore, I can be a blessing and not just a curse. I can give and not just take. Isn't it amazing how God changes him to be in the fulfillment of the promise that he said he was going to be? Because if you go all the way back to the moment he was laying on a rock at what was rock bottom in his life, God said that he was going to bless him to be a blessing to the nations, which was a promise he first gave to his forefather Abraham, that now he's actually living as he gives to Esau instead of taking from him. Look, God's not looking for your future name in order for you to be blessed this year, in order for you to be empowered this year. God's not looking for the promised version of what you're going to be whenever you get your act together and you dig yourself out of the hole you've dug yourself in. God's just looking for Jacob. And if Jacob could show up, then maybe God can change Jacob, weak and in need, to with God, victorious and strong. So, to the Jacobs in the room. May you receive this invitation to become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Not through your effort, but through your surrender. And in this new year, as you acknowledge the baggage that comes with who you are apart from God, may you receive the gift of a new identity that is marked by His Spirit, His power, His grace, and his forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Our prayer team's going to come up to the front so that some of you Jacobs can come forward. That's humility. We do it every week. It's not an afterthought. We intend to pray for those who recognize their need for Christ. So as you stand to your feet, if you need prayer, you move as the Lord leads. And in this new year, Let's embrace what we are as we receive what we are not from the God who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever imagine or dream to be possible. It's in His name we hope. In Jesus' name, amen. You move us the Lord leads. You move us the Lord leads.